in two days from now, Kim and I will celebrate 25 years of marriage. And I do mean celebrate. By the grace of God in Christ, uh, we met doing ministry together. And then we bonded in faith together over the next couple of years, especially. We were phone dating, if you will. She was living in one part of the country and I was living in another part of the country. We were in uh, dating for one year and then we were engaged for one year. And during that two-year period, really all we ever talked about was the Bible or ministry or our families in light of the gospel or whatever it was. But I really mean it when I say that we bonded in faith. And then through all these years together, Kim and I have been graced by God uh, to live by faith together. We've lived a kind of life together where we look to Jesus first and then we look to one another. We've lived the kind of life together where we love Jesus more than we love each other. In fact, when we were so young, we met when I was 22 and she was 21. But somehow at such a young age, uh, we already knew that unless the Lord was truly first in our relationship, that we could not have a healthy and fruitful relationship. And so, uh, again, this is by God's grace. But by God's grace in our lives, uh, we've tried very hard to fix our eyes on him and then to fix our eyes on each other. We have striven to, to live by faith together. We have celebrated life together and we have endured several uh, significant deaths together by faith, not the least of which was my parents. We have enjoyed a measure of health together, and we have endured uh, various kinds of sickness together, not the least of which is Kim's uh, multiple sclerosis. And we have done that by faith, and if I had time to go into it, I would tell you stories so that you'd understand that I really mean that. I'm not just mouthing the words because I feel obligated to. I really mean it. Kim and I, by God's grace, have lived by faith. We have lived with plenty, and we have lived in want together by faith. I remember uh, a few years ago, it's been 13, 14 years ago now, but I remember one day we got to a place where we had $5.32, I think it was, in our bank account. And I remember bowing before the Lord that day and just asking him to provide. And by his grace, that very day, he lavishly provided for our needs. And I praise him for that. So we have had plenty at times of our life, more than we ever needed. And, and at other times, like I just said, we've been down to the very end. And we face these things by faith, and God has been very gracious to us together. We have cherished uh, seasons of spiritual fruitfulness together, and we have walked through some very tar dark times together by faith. So, you know, things haven't always been rosy for us. We haven't always had a perfect life. I'm certainly not trying to paint that kind of picture. I'm just saying that even in our struggles, we look to God together. Even when Kim and I weren't getting along so great, together the few times that that's been uh, a reality in our marriage we really try to encourage one another to look to him and if we couldn't play that in each other's that that uh, kind of role in each other's lives then we would encourage each other to go somebody else so that somebody else could point us to christ because we just knew unless our eyes get fixed on christ there's just no way that we're going to be able to have a decent relationship beloved i i'm I'm trying to tell you honestly, Kim and I have reached a pinnacle in our lives together now. We have reached our silver anniversary. We have reached 25 years of marriage. And by God's grace, we have lived all these years by faith. And now that we have reached this milestone, we are determined uh, not, to, uh, not, not to relax, not to rest on our, our laurels, but we want to hit the gas, so to speak. We want to, uh, to live by faith with even more intensity. The other day, Kim and I were talking, and the metaphor that she used 
was that it's like we're climbing up uh, Mount Everest and we've reached uh, base camp. Let's say we've reached about halfway and we're, uh, we're, we're pausing to look back, to think about what God has done, to think about how gracious he is. We're pausing to sort of get ourselves together and, and, and then we're, we're fixing our eyes on the peak itself and not just at the base camp and we're preparing to set out and we don't know how long we're going to make it maybe we'll have one more year by faith maybe we'll have another 25 years maybe we'll have more than 25 years we have no idea god has not promised us any specific amount of time but what we do know is that whether we have one more day or 25 more years together we want to do that by faith we want like abraham and sarah we want to die at the pinnacle of our faith they did not die weak in faith. They died uh, stronger in their faith than they had ever been. And that's how Kim and I want to die too. And beloved, I just want to say to, to her in front of all of you that I am still crazy in love with her. I am so grateful to God for her. And I uh, so much look forward to spending as much of my life as I can uh, with, with her. And I want to thank you for playing your part in our lives as well. You have been an important part of our walk of faith over the last decade of time now, if you can believe that that much time has passed. Some of us have even known each other more than 10 years now. But I really mean that. You know, some of you have played a very significant role in our walk in the last 10 years. Others, uh, others of you have played a, a more minor role. But we're very grateful to you, and we know that we don't walk this walk alone. So thank you as well. And with all that in mind, let me just uh, pray now for the message, and then I'll press on with what's on my heart for this day. Our Father, I thank you for the opportunity, for the privilege of knowing you. I thank you for the fact that you wrote my name and Kim's name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I thank you that no matter what, uh, nothing can change that. I thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. I thank you that the things you did for us on the cross are powerful and irreversible. I thank you that the greatest issues in life are completely settled for us in Christ. I thank you that our hope is secure in you. I thank you that our love in you is unbreakable. And I thank you that when the time was right, you drew us together by faith. I thank you that you have prospered us together by faith. I thank you that you are encouraging us to go even harder now at this time of our lives by faith. In other words, Father, I thank you for the grace that is at work in our lives. And I pray, Father, that the fruitfulness that's ahead of us would far outweigh the fruitfulness that is behind us. For the glory of your name, O oh, Father, I pray these things. And now, Lord, as I turn to the message itself, I pray that you would help me to speak in a way that would be pleasing to you. I pray, Father, that you would put the right words in the right way on my heart. And I pray, Lord, that these words would land upon your people. And I pray, Father, that we would be a focused people. I pray that we would understand what we're doing here in this world, and I pray that we would learn our particular part, and I pray that we would play our parts with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And my Father, I thank you for what you'll do in this message and in this time now. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Well, we are continuing today in our series called On Being a Christian in the World. And I want to begin this morning by reviewing the six propositions that I laid out a few weeks ago because they provide a, a very important com, uh, uh, context for the things that are on my heart today. And so let me just reiterate these things with you. And then after I do that, I'll press on into uh, what's on my heart for today. And I think you'll understand why it was important to lay this foundation again. So six propositions. Number one. Jesus Christ is the eternal king over the unshakable kingdom of God. Beloved, this is a reality. 
And I know that it's easy for us to understand it in our minds, but I'm asking us to take the time to ponder this in our hearts. Jesus Christ is a real king, and he serves over a real kingdom. This is not merely a theological proposition. This is a fact of life. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. Number two, as the king of kings, as the Lord of all lords, as the power above all powers, Jesus' global purpose is to exalt his name by winning worshipers for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. In other words, Jesus is building his kingdom in this world by building his church. That's what he's up to in the world. This is the primary thing that he is about. This is at the heart of his purposes. There are are greater things in his mind for the age to come. But in this particular age, Jesus is building his kingdom by building his church. And he's doing that from every tribe, tongue, and nation on this earth. Number three, since Christians belong to the king of kings, we are primarily citizens of the kingdom of God and only secondarily citizens of the nations of the world. The citizenships we have in this world are real, but they are by far secondary to the citizenship that we have in the kingdom of heaven. And the citizenships we have here on earth are simply a tool that God gives to us to use for the glory of his name on the earth. As that old hymn writer said, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And one day, Our earthly citizenships will pass away, and all the nations of the earth will pass away. The day is coming and is not far off now when the United States even will be no more, and Russia will be no more, and China will be no more, and all of the nations of the earth will be no more. And what will remain for those who are in Christ is the citizenship we have in heaven. That is an eternal citizenship because it is our primary citizenship. We who believe in Jesus and live in the United States are not primarily Americans who happen to be Christians. We are Christian people who happen to be Americans. And we happen to be Americans because Jesus means to use that for the glory of his name in all of the earth. He means to use our citizenship here as a tool for his kingdom. Number four, therefore, the mission of the church on the earth is to make disciples of all nations. And this mission guides our perspective and our planning in everything we do. In other words, as Christian people, we might partake of certain things in this world, but beloved, we do not live for the things of this world. Rather, we live for the glory of our King by exalting his name in our neighborhoods and among the nations of the earth. The church is not a political action committee, The church is not a social service institution. The church is a gospel light in the world that is trying with all of its heart to commend to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, again, I know you understand these things in your mind, but I want to press you to feel them in your heart. If you're a Christian, this is why Christ has left you here on the earth. This is why he has not taken you home to be with him immediately. He has left you here. He has left me here. He has left us together as his body here to make disciples for the glory of Christ. Number five, 
as citizens of the kingdom of God. We do not disengage from the world, but we do engage it in a particular way. Christian people engage this world with a view uh, for the next world. We engage this world with our mind on the kingdom of God, not on the kingdoms of the earth. We engage life in this world as ambassadors from Christ, who are citizens of his kingdom, and who are therefore fundamentally foreigners to the kingdoms of this world and not natives. This is a, a difficult thing for us to feel and to, to, to live in the light of in life at full speed, but it's simply true, beloved. We are exiles in this world, Peter said. We are strangers in this world. We are sojourners in this world. Our citizenship is in another place, and we're on this earth as ambassadors. We are here as foreigners and not as natives. In this spirit, we do grieve for our people. God does make us not just to visit a people, but, but to actually be part of a people. And of course, he has redeemed us out of a particular people. And as people who are a, a part of another people in some profound ways, we do grieve for them. We do long for them to know Christ, just like the Apostle Paul said of his own nation, the Jewish nation. He said in one place, he said, oh, I wish that I could be accursed that they might be saved. I wish that I might go to hell, that my countrymen might know God and the power of Jesus Christ and the glory of Christ and the joy of being found in him and the power of knowing him, the power of serving him, the power of focusing my life on him. Oh, that my people were accursed that I was accursed, that my people would know him in that way. And beloved, we can feel that way for our people too. It's right that we should feel that way for them too. But the reason we feel that way for them is because we actually want them to be citizens of another kingdom. We want them, in, in a way, to defect. We want them to renounce their earthly citizenships and to uh, cling to God and to the citizenship that is found in his kingdom alone. Number six. Because our eyes are fixed on Christ in this particular way, we rise up and we bow down and we give our praise and thanks to God no matter what transpires in our particular culture at any particular time. The Lord alone is sovereign over all earthly uh, powers. He is the Lord alone over all earthly kingdoms. He is in absolute and in total control of all the good things and all the bad things and all the in-between things that happen in the earth. And so even though we might grieve, at the end of the day, we rise up and we bow down and we praise our God and King because he is in total control. And he is unaffected by the ups and downs, by the comings and goings, by the ebb and flow of the tides of this world. No matter what happens in our culture right now, no matter what has happened in our culture, no matter what will happen in our culture the Lord is God and nothing will change that. Jesus is King and nothing will change that. The kingdom of God is the uh, most powerful central kingdom in the universe and it always will be and nothing will change that. So because that's true, because he is our stability, beloved, we rise up and we bow down and we praise his name. Now because we look at things this way, it gives us a very uh, unique perspective on everything in the world. So let me just give you a couple of examples from the last two weeks. And again, I'm still just reiterating where we've been because I, I'm hoping that it will help you understand what I'm really trying to get at today. Let me just give you two examples. 
couple weeks ago, Pastor Kevin uh, so powerfully and so eloquently uh, taught us that whereas we value and celebrate marriage as Christian people, we don't consider marriage uh, to be ultimate. We don't consider it to be the, the, the primary goal of life, to get married and then to have a family. Instead, we look at our uh, uh, to our king and we seek our purpose and we seek our contentment in Jesus Christ alone. And then we serve one another, whether in singleness or in marriage, and we do that for the glory of Christ. We don't look to another human being to complete us. We don't look to another human being to fulfill us. Rather, we look to Jesus Christ to complete us. And the more and more we, we uh, are, are aware, the more and more we have a consciousness of how he completes us, the more we become free in singleness and in marriage to serve others, even if we're married. We're now free to serve our spouse and not to need her too much. We're free to serve our spouse and not to need him too much. And if in singleness, we're free to celebrate the fact that God has given this to us as a gift. As much as I love Kimmy, beloved, I, I, I love this woman with all of my heart. But as much as I love her, the truth of the matter is that a day is coming and will soon be here where we will not be married. A day is coming where Jesus Christ will e expose his glory to the whole earth. His glory will explode upon the sky and he will bring us home. And in that moment, in the blink of an eye, our marriage will be dissolved to each other. But together with everybody in the world that believes in Christ, we will now be married to Christ. Now, I've asked Jesus many times if I could just be in the area where Kim is when we get to the next stage because I, I like her a lot. She's my best friend in the world. I really enjoy her company and I just want to be around her. But one thing that I'm really clear about is that she will not be my wife and I will not be her husband. We will be uh, siblings in Christ. We will be married to Christ and married to him alone. And since that's so, we seek our contentment in him and then we're free to serve one another. Or if we're single, we're also free uh, to serve without the need of marriage. We might long for it and there's nothing wrong with that. But in the most fundamental and profound sense, Christians don't need marriage because we have Jesus Christ. Essentially, we're already married to Christ. Another example. Because we seek our satisfaction and our contentment in Christ alone, we are neither completed by having children nor depleted by not having children. Our identity comes from Jesus. And when we're united with him, then we're free to have kids but not need them too much. And we're free not to have kids and not to be too sad that we don't have any. I know that there's plenty of grief uh, in the world from Christian people who are unable to have children, and I have a lot of compassion about that. But I do want to say to you that in the most fundamental sense, you do not have to have children. You do not need children with the capital N because you are fulfilled in Christ. Since this is so, God is pleased to bless some families with lots and lots of kids, and praise be to his name. But when God does bless a family with a lot of kids, we pray for them, that they would not make too much of their children, but that they would make much of Christ. We pray that they would not seek their satisfaction and contentment and fulfillment in their children, but that they would seek these things in Jesus Christ. For other families, the, the Lord is pleased to withhold a lot of children from them. Some of us, like Kim and I, 
we uh, have struggled with uh, health issues that have kept us from being able to have kids. We thought we would have a house full of kids when we were young, but uh, a couple years after Rachel was born, we found out Kim has MS. And uh, for a number of reasons that I don't want to go into this morning, it just isn't wise for us to have children. And so we made a decision many years ago just to be content with Rachel and to really give our lives in the service of the Lord. And this has pleased God to do this in us. In some sense, I grieve at not having more kids, but in another sense, I don't, because this is God's good pleasure for me. And I am satisfied in Christ, and I am happy to serve Christ rather than always coming home to a, a house full of children. And believe me, I'm not saying that people who have a house full of kids aren't serving Christ at home. I'm just saying that in God's good pleasure, this is the plan he had for me. For some people, God is pleased to give them a, a, a foster children. God is pleased to give them adoptive children, and some folks have a lot of them. I just heard from a Facebook friend of mine this week who now has his eighth adoptive child, and I praise God with that. We all, uh, for that, we all ought to praise God for that, but this is not God's will for every family. And so for other families, God is pleased not to give them foster kids or, or, or not to give them adoptive kids. And all of these options, beloved, what I'm trying to say is that when we're satisfied in Christ, all of these options become acceptable, uh, celebrative options. And we ought to give thanks to God for one another rather than pointing to each other and saying, you know, well, why don't you have more kids? Well, why do you have so many kids? You know, all that's very secondary, beloved. What we ought to be doing is pressing one another to do one thing, and that is to look to our God and King and seek His will for our particular lives. Our contentment is in Christ. And so our aim in each other's lives is to press one another toward Christ. And indeed, if Kim and I are granted another one year or another 25 years of marriage, I don't know what God will do in our lives, but I know what I want. And that is, I want to be a partner to my wife to help her look to Jesus. And I want her to be a partner in my life to look and to look and to look to Jesus. These are just two examples of so many that we could give to show how utterly unique the Christian lifestyle is in this world. Because when we take seriously the fundamental propositions that I laid out in the beginning of this message, then we're willingly and we're gladly compelled to live in a way that is satisfying to the soul, but that frankly to the human flesh makes little sense, maybe even no sense. I think to people who are outside Christ, this way of thinking is actually nonsense. And, and there are reasons for that. In fact, if you will, uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to read with you uh, verses 14 through 16. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14 through 16. Here's what Paul writes. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why is that? For they are folly to him. They are foolish to him. They make no sense to him. They may, in fact, be nonsense to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, which I would say means the person who is in Christ and therefore has the Spirit, the spiritual person, the Spirit-filled person, judges all things, but himself is judged by no one. For who has understand the, understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we 
have the mind of Christ. Oh, what powerful words. We have in us, those of us who look to Jesus and who believe in Jesus and who are in a relationship with Jesus, who have become one with Jesus by faith through grace, Okay, we have in us a way of thinking about our lives in the world that is utterly unique and that is foolish to people who are outside of Christ. But in Christ, it just makes perfect sense. And here's the heart of that sense. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all lords. He is the King of all kings. He is the single source that will satisfy the human soul. And once satisfied in him, we are free from earthly things. This does not mean that we engage in no earthly things. It does not mean that we disavow marriage, that we disavow having children, or many other things. It just means that we have a very particular, unique way of looking at these things. To be Christian in the world, beloved, is to cling to Christ above all things in this world. This is the heart of what it means to be Christians in this world. We look to Christ. We cling to Christ. We love Christ. We are satisfied in Christ. He is our everything. And again, I know that the things that I'm saying to you are not new to your minds, at least to most of you. But I want to press you to really think about your way of life in light of what I'm saying. And think about if you're living your life in a way that is that is uh, uplifting these things or not. You know, it's easy to know things, but then not to live by them. And today, I am, I'm pressing you with all my heart and hopefully with humility in my heart, I am pressing you uh, to let these things sink deeply, deeply, deeply into your heart. To be Christian in this world is to live by faith in Christ alone. This leads us now to the main passage for today, and that is Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. So if you'll turn there with me. This is, of course, the Great Commission. The final words, at least in Matthew's Gospel, these are the final words that he spoke to his disciples before going to be with his father and here's what jesus had to say in matthew 28 18 through 20 and jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the age. Let me just draw out for us four points this time around. We've looked at this passage before, and surely we'll look at it again down the road. But for today, let me draw out four points. First, Jesus commands us on the basis of his unlimited authority. And again, I say to you, beloved, that Jesus is the real king over the real kingdom of God. No one is greater than him, no one is stronger than him, and therefore no one can issue a command with an authority that is equal to him. And because Jesus commanded us on the basis of his own limitless authority, uh, at least two things are implied. First of all, this makes his calling upon us inescapable, and second, it guarantees the outcome of our obedience to his command. So let me say something about each of those. On the one hand, the power behind Jesus' command means that we have neither the right nor the ability to reinterpret or to avoid or to dismiss what he has said. Our King and our Savior has told us to be focused, beloved, 
And if there's any one word that captures the message for today, it's that word. Focus. 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 Our Master, our King, our God, our Savior, our friend, he even called himself. He has told us to be focused on this one thing. To make disciples for the glory of Christ. This is what we're doing on the earth, beloved. Now, Making disciples is not the ultimate meaning of our, of our being. The ultimate meaning of our being is to be in union with God. It's to be in relationship with God. It is to worship God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. But when it comes to the question of why God has left us on this earth, of what task he's given us to do, beloved, he has called us to focus, focus, focus. We are here to make disciples for the glory of Christ. And because he has issued this command on the basis of his authority, beloved, this command is inescapable for everybody who claims to know Jesus. Now, on the other hand, the power behind Jesus' command means that the outcome of our obedience is guaranteed. The calling to make disciples, therefore, is a privilege and not a burden. You see, because Christ is uh, uh, commanding us on the basis of his authority, this means that we don't go out on the basis of our authority. Because Christ is commanding us from his power, this means that we don't go out into the world on the basis of our power. In, in fact, we don't go to make disciples for Jesus. We're going out to make disciples with Jesus. In fact, there's really no way that any of us can make a disciple. Isn't that true? To make a disciple really means to help somebody be raised from the dead. The Bible says that before we know Jesus Christ, we are spiritually dead. And the only way, therefore, that we can come into a relationship with God is to be resurrected from the dead. And I don't know about you, but I don't have the power to make that happen. Christ is the only one who actually makes disciples for himself, but he invites us to come along. He is not putting a burden on our shoulders that we can't handle. He's giving us an invitation that will bring us great joy, beloved. This is like a father who has an extremely important job, and every day is bring your children to work day. He, he delights to do life with us because fundamentally he loves us. He's not trying to get things out of us. What could we give him anyway? What, what, what does he need that he would ask us for? What does he need at all to begin with, right? But beloved, out of the kindness of his heart, he invites us to come along. Out of the kindness of his heart, he invites us into his labor. And what I'm saying to you now is that because he commands us on the basis of a limitless authority, if we obey him, the outcome of our obedience is guaranteed. Now you may remember if you were here with us in the Hebrew series, that at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, the author there tells us that when people go out into the world by faith, some of them conquer kingdoms and some of them suffer tremendously difficult things. In fact, Hebrews says that some of them are sawn in two. Some of them live as destitute people. In one sort of graphic description, he said some of them live in holes in the ground. When we go out by faith, sometimes we conquer and sometimes we suffer. But the key is that we're going out in obedience to the command of Jesus Christ. We don't go out into the world particularly to succeed or particularly to fail. We go out simply to obey what he has for us that particular day. 
Day by day by day, the heart of a Christian is to say, Father, I love you. I'm so privileged to know you. I'm so privileged to do life with you today. Father, what would you have me to do today? Where would you have me go today, Father? What would you have me say today? How would you have me pray today? How would you have me speak today? Or how would you have me be silent today? How would you have me conquer today? How would you have me suffer today? Father, what would you like for me to do today? And as we surrender our lives, beloved, he will bear fruit through our lives for the glory of his name. That is just a fact. The fruit of the kingdom of God often does not look like we think it's going to look. But the bottom line is that the person who will submit to Jesus Christ in heartfelt obedience, that person is bound to succeed because Christ commands us on the basis of his unlimited authority. And since he commanded it, he's going to do it. Amen? Amen. Number two. Well enough, but the question is kind of hanging out there now. If if we're commanded to make disciples, what does it mean to make disciples? Well, I want to answer you today again in the words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians. So if you'll turn back there, I want to look now at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. It's 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24. And here is what Paul said. For Jews demand signs. Jews are not satisfied, Paul is saying. I'm not an evangelist to Jews, but he was, he was an evangelist to Jews as a Jewish person. So his testimony in working with actual Jews is that the words of the gospel weren't enough. They wanted to see signs. They wanted to see God do powerful things to prove himself. Jews demanded signs. And Greeks, or people who were not Jews, basically Gentiles, they seek wisdom. They want fine-sounding arguments. They want powerful logic. They want things that make sense to them. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we, what do we do? We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews because it's the opposite kind of sign that they would want. You wouldn't think that the Savior of the world would end up getting stuck up on a cross, hung up on a tree, or in our kind of culture, put on in an electric chair, fried in an electric chair. You wouldn't think that your king and savior would end up in San Quentin prison out in California and, and, and being killed in that way, would you? So to Jews, this is a stumbling block. To Greeks, it's just utter foolishness. It just makes no sense to them. In fact, it is often nonsense to them. However, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ doesn't just bring us power. He is the power of God. Christ does not just grant us wisdom. He is the wisdom of God. So, to make disciples for the glory of Christ is to preach Christ and Him crucified. It is to proclaim the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ alone. It's to show people through our lips and through our lives how joy and satisfaction and hope and eternal life are found in Jesus and in no other. Beloved, Jesus has sent us into the world to preach Christ to the world. And not only to preach Christ, but to preach him crucified. This is what we're doing here on the earth. And then, of course, when someone believes in Jesus, Jesus commands us to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he commands us to teach them to observe everything he has commanded. And please note the emphasis here. Teach 
and observe. Those are the two words that stick out to me. Teach and observe. Give them knowledge, but don't just stop at knowledge. Teach them obedience. Do you see that? If all you have is knowledge and you don't have a heart to obey, you know what you are? You're a Pharisee. Or you're uh, what we're called in another era, uh, libertines. People who have knowledge but don't think it's important to obey that knowledge. But this is not the vision of Christ. The vision of Christ is that we would get to know things about him so that we could actually obey him. The vision of Christ is that we would know his will so that we could do his will. The vision of Christ is that we would be hearers of the word. Amen. We should be hearers of the word, but that we also would be doers of the word. The, the blessing is in the doing, beloved. We teach and we observe. Observation without knowledge is aimless. But knowledge without observation is worthless. Knowledge without obedience is worthless. And so we teach and we teach to observe. You see, we teach knowledge and we train people how to actually walk with Christ. This is what it means to make a disciple. It's to show them how to do life with Jesus. It's to show them how in practical terms to be content in Jesus and to think about everything in life in light of Jesus. To live with a singular focus on this in this world on the glory of Jesus. We teach them to come and be part of the great army that is making even more disciples for the glory of Christ. So what does it mean to make a disciple? It means to preach Christ and him crucified. And then when someone believes... It means that we teach them how to take up their cross and become like Jesus who was crucified for us. Number three, with all that in mind, I think the command to make disciples is pretty clear. It's really not very complicated at all. However, we need to know that each person in the church is designed to play a different part in that process. Not everybody is designed exactly the same way. The first church that I came up in uh, was a good church. It's still there, still bearing a lot of fruit today. And the pastor, is, he's moved on. He's in a different part of uh, uh, place in his life now. But he was a good man of God then, and he's a good man of God now. But the philosophy of the church at that time was that basically everybody was called to do evangelism and to do disciple-making in exactly the same way. And I just don't think that that's true. I, I'm very persuaded by people like Steve Timmis, who wrote the book Total Church, and then a follow-up book called Everyday Church, along with a friend of his whose who's, uh, name is uh, slipping me right now. Um, but they wrote this book, and ba one of their main arguments in the book is to say that the church is built together to do evangelism together. And just think about this. Some people in our lives are amazing prayer warriors, aren't they? The Bible says that we're all supposed to pray without ceasing. The Bible says that we're all supposed to talk to God at all times about all things in our lives. And yet, haven't you just found that there are some people who are tremendously gifted in prayer ministry? Have you ever been to a prayer meeting and somebody's praying and you just feel like the power of God is present? The power of God is coming into the room? That God is listening in a special way? Well, that isn't because they're any better than you or any more worthy before you in Christ. That's because that person is gifted in intercession. And some of us, beloved, are gifted to intercede. And this is the part that we have in making disciples. So if that's the part God has made you to play, then know your part and play your part, beloved. Focus, focus, focus. 
You are here along with us to make disciples for the glory of Christ. And if God has made you an intercessor, then intercede, beloved, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Intercede. Other people, maybe they're not so good at articulating the gospel. Maybe they're not so great at explaining it to people so that they could be saved. But what they're really good at is hospitality. They're just sort of magnets. You know, have you ever known people like that? Just sort of wherever they go, they just tend to, people just tend to congregate around them. Or if they invite people to come to things, the people actually show up. Kim and I don't really have this gift of hospitality. We we enjoy hospitality, but a lot of times when we invite people to things, they don't actually show up. But there's some people that are just amazingly gifted. And this isn't a matter of charisma. This is a matter of the Spirit of God at work in their lives. And they're just good at gathering people. So if you are that person, if you are a gatherer, if you are a sort of a hospitality-driven magnet of a person, then know your place and play your part. Know your gift and use your gift for the glory of Christ, beloved. Gather people so that others of us can articulate the gospel to them. And then there are some of us that are just good at explaining, here's what the gospel means and here's how, what it means to walk with Christ. And, 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 and this gifting, beloved, is not something that, that uh, you know, people who are able to articulate the gospel should brag about that they should boast about, that they should feel proud about, because it's a gift that God has given for the glory of his name and the upbuilding of the whole church. And as each part plays their part, then people actually get saved. People actually get baptized. People actually learn to observe all that Jesus commanded. So if you are somebody who knows how to articulate the gospel well, then know your part and play your part, beloved. Focus, focus, focus. Don't waste your time on this earth, but play the part that God has made you to play. And together we will know the deep, great joy of making disciples for the glory of Jesus. Last Thursday and Friday, Kim and I went away for a couple days down to the Wabashaw area to celebrate our 25 years of marriage. And the main thing we did while we were away was we reminisced about the past. We reminisced about what the Lord had done in our lives. We literally just thought sort of era by era from the time we met uh, to, to our engagement time, to our marriage, the early years, and, and, and so on and so on. And we just talked about what God had done for us. And over and over in our conversations, the word focus just kept coming up, beloved. We just saw how God helped us to focus on his mission in our lives and the more we looked at the past, the more we just gained a, a passion for the present and for the future to focus, focus, focus. We want to see the part that God has for us to play, and we want to play that part with all of our hearts. And by, by this time, after all these years have passed, Kim and I are pretty clear about the parts that we have to play. I have other passions in my life. But my main calling is to preach the word of God and to preach it with all of my heart. And I cannot tell you the depth of passion I have to preach God's word with everything that is in me. To glorify his name by systematically teaching through the word of God in public places. This is my part, beloved, and I want with all of my heart to play it with all of my heart. And I want you to know that Kim's uh, place in my preaching ministry is to be my prayer partner. She is to be my prayer warrior. I had a dream when we were dating. I was uh, I was preaching out of this public place and as I looked over uh, on these chairs that were sort of off to the side, there was Kim and she was praying for me. 
And as we process that dream, even in our dating time, we just got a pretty clear vision from God that our calling as a couple with regard to at least the public worship life of the church is that I'm supposed to preach and she's supposed to pray. We are partners in this ministry. And the reason she sits right there on the front row isn't just for convenience sake. It's because she's my partner in this. We know the main part that God has called me to play and I want to play with all my heart. And as for Kimmy, this woman has got an amazing heart of compassion. And she is one of those magnetic people. She's quiet, but she is bold as a lion. And people just open their hearts up to her everywhere she goes. People just open up their hearts. And she has so many opportunities to share the gospel just by being kind and just by being a great listening ear. But beloved, this is not something that's owing to her. It is a gift that God has given to her. And she's in a place in her life, uh, uh, career-wise, she's teaching at a church down in Brooklyn Park or Brooklyn Center, I can't remember which, right now, that is just filled with daily opportunities for her to be a witness for Jesus. And we want her to play her part with all her heart and soul and mind and strength too. What we want our marriage to be about is we want to be mutual encouragers to help us focus our eyes on Christ and, and, and then live the, the life that he has for us to live. We want to play the part that he has for us to play. Beloved, we want to focus, focus, focus on the joy of making disciples for the glory of Christ. And I want to ask you the question, how about you? Do you know the part that God has called you to play? If you are a Christian and you have been left on this earth, you are here to make disciples for the glory of Jesus. Do you know the part that you're supposed to play? If your answer is no, are you seeking the part that you're supposed to play? Are you praying about the part that you're supposed to play? Are you distracted by the things of the world? Are you distracted by the things of your flesh? Are you caught up in sin? Are you caught up in laziness? Are you caught up in whatever, pornography, whatever? Are you caught up in climbing the company ladder? Are you caught up in you know, whatever kind of selfishness you might be caught up in? Or are your eyes fixed on Christ? Are you seeking your delight in Jesus Christ? And are you seeking his will for your particular life? I promise you that everybody who seeks will find. And if you will ask him, and if you will pray along with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here at this church, God will show you your part. And my main heart this morning is to look each of you in the eye, to, to touch each of you in the heart and say, Beloved, focus, focus, focus. Identify your part and play your part by the power of Christ, on the basis of the authority of Christ, and for the glory of Christ. Our gracious King, beloved, has called us to be a gospel light in the world. The church is not a political action committee. It is not a social service institution. We are the people of God. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. By Christians, uh, by, by God's design... Christians are to infiltrate every sphere of society, but when we infiltrate it, we infiltrate those spheres of society as ambassadors of Christ and not as natives of this earth. And so again, I want to encourage you, beloved, to think about your life, to think about where God has placed you, and to think about that in light of the gospel. What has God called you to do on this earth for the glory of his name? If you will, please look at the back of your bulletins. Uh, each week there, we print out the vision of this church, the mission of this church, and the three values of this church, which are worship, community, and mission. 
And I don't want to take the time to go through them today, but I do want to draw your attention to that. And I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you each week to just look at the back of the bulletin, read through those things. You know, we didn't just make them up. We discern those things out of the scripture. And so from our perspective, those things, the vision, the mission, and the values are not so much things that just define glory of Christ fellowship. They're things that ought to define the, the, our life in Christ together, no matter what church we're a part of. And so I want to encourage you to look at the back of the bulletin each week as a way of recalibrating your soul. Don't you feel like so many weeks when you're at church, you feel excited about Christ, you feel focused, but then you walk out that door and so many distractions from inside and from outside come upon you and you, you just lose your focus a little bit. Well, that's natural. It's normal. It happens to every one of us. If we were not sinful people, it, it wouldn't happen to us. But by God's grace, there are ways of recalibrating. There are ways of refocusing. And I want to challenge you to use this as one way to refocus your life. Every week, come to church and read that bulletin and remember that you're here to make uh, disciples for the glory of Christ. You're here to teach people how to worship God, how to love their fellow believers, and how to be on mission in the world. And I pray that God will really, really bless that. Number, number four, very quickly, from Matthew chapter 28. Let me just draw out one more thing. It's amazing to me, the very last thing that Jesus said in this passage. He said to his beloved disciples, and by extension to us, he said, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So please understand this. Again, I know you get it in your mind, but I'm asking you to feel the power of this in your heart. Christ commands us on the basis of his authority, and then he promises to actually uh, spiritually be with us to the very end of the age. I almost said physically be with us. And, and it's not exactly right. That, that wouldn't exactly be the right way of saying it. But I'll tell you, it's pretty darn close. Jesus Christ is not theoretically with us. He is actually with us to the very end of the age. So the authority of Christ gives us the power to obey Christ and the guarantee of, of the outcome of our obedience. And get this, the presence of Christ is our peace, our joy, our contentment, our satisfaction. If he was to command us with authority, but withdraw his presence from us, well, what good would that do us? How cold would that be? Even if it was effective, even if it was powerful, pure power without heart does not give life. And if he was to just give us his warm, fuzzy presence without any specific directions or without any power to do anything, well, we would be an aimless people. We might be a warm people, but we would be an aimless people. So what we have in this command, beloved, is Jesus' unlimited authority and his eternal presence there with us. And in that spirit, beloved, we are called to focus, 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 and make disciples for the glory of Christ. So I want to close out now by just challenging you to do four specific things, not one of which will be new, but I want to encourage you to examine your actual life. I want to encourage you not just to think about what you've heard before or what you haven't heard before, but I want to encourage you to think about your actual daily life in light of these four things. Number one, to be Christians in the world is to be a people who are in the word of God all the time. By the word of God, we come to know the heart of God, the mind of God, the will of God, the ways of God, the purposes of God, the plans of God. We get to know who he is and what he's up to. We get to know what he expects from us and the resources he has given to us to do the things 
that he has called us to do. Beloved, there's literally no way to be the people of God in the world without the word of God. And I know that there are parts of the world where they have little to no scripture available to them. So maybe you would point to that and say, well, see, the people there are able to be the people of God without the word of God. And yet I promise you, I've been to places like that in the world. And I promise you that the people in those locations hunger for the word of God more than we do because we're fat on the word of God. We, we eat so much of it that we, that we become numb to it. But they crave, they deeply, powerfully, passionately crave the word of God. Why? Because it's the life of the people of God. Beloved, in order to know the Lord and know his will and do his will, we have to know who he is. We have to know what he's purposing. We have to know what he's calling for from us. So be a people of the word of God. Be focused, beloved. Listen to the heart of your father. I don't know what kind of church you grew up in or what kind of atmosphere you were in 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 that church or those churches, whatever the case may be. But I know in a lot of uh, corners, the call to be in the Word every day just kind of seems like a call to duty. just seems like a, a thing that Christians have to, have to do each day, sort of check that box off. And I want to I invite you to think about your time in the Word a little bit differently. I want to invite you to hear the invitation this way. Come into the presence of your Father every day and listen to the voice of your Father through His Word. Spend time with your Father. When you hear from your Father, you will be more and more compelled to go out into this world and play your role in making disciples for the glory of Christ. Second related thing. To be Christian in the world means to be a people of prayer in the world. It means to be people who know what it means to pray without ceasing. It means to be people who know what it means to talk to God about everything at all times. It means to be a people who are learning more and more what it means to actually live in union with Jesus Christ. It means that we're a people who draw upon his power to do his will. If we just had the the word of God without prayer, if we just had the knowledge about God without access to the presence of God, oh beloved, we would be a sad and sorry people. We really would be. Because we would be burdened with uh, a call, we would be burdened with knowledge, with information, That would be just way too much for us to bear. But by his great grace, God has invited us to come into his presence and talk to him, relate with him, just enjoy being with him. Some of my most memorable times with the Lord are times when I read the word and then I just sit there and I don't say much and I just silently listen to the Father. I silently reflect on his words. I just silently receive from his spirit. You know, being in prayer with the Lord doesn't always take a lot of words. It's a matter of of consciously being aware of your union with Christ. So be a people of the word. Be a people of prayer. Be a people who are in constant conversation with your Father. And you will be uh, encouraged. You will be encouraged to play your part in making disciples for the glory of Christ. Beloved, be focused and be people of prayer. Third thing, to be Christian in the world is to be engaged in the body of Christ. As you get to know the word of our Father, as you get to spend time with our Father in His in His presence, you will soon see that in His Word He has a very rich and robust vision of the life of the body of Christ in the world. The idea of a Lone Ranger Christian, or the idea of someone who is only sort of uh, uh, barely attached to the life of the church, is just not an idea that comes from our Father. And the way I know that is because I know of the Word of God. You don't have to have degrees and all kinds of intellectual abilities to to get this. Just read Ephesians. 
that in itself would do it for you. Read Colossians, read Philippians. They're, they're small books. If you were to read just those those several books right there, one six chapters, one four chapters, the other's four chapters, you would see that God has a very strong, robust, rich vision of the body life of his people. He wants us to do life with one another because his vision is to build us together into the body of Christ. His vision is to win worshipers for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation and make them one as he and the Father are one. And so since this is his vision, this becomes our mission. And one beautiful thing about engaging in the body of Christ is that as you engage in life with your brothers and sisters in Christ, your particular part in making disciples becomes apparent. Your gifts become obvious. People begin to call them out. The reason that I'm standing here right now preaching from this pulpit is because in 1986, 1987, 1988, as I was just coming to know Christ and growing up in Christ, my pastor uh, got me to engage in ministry. And as the months went by and the years went by, one person after another after another came up to me to say, Brother, you need to be a preacher. You need to be a preacher. And it took me time to receive that call. It was a, a, a scary call to me, but I knew at, over time that God was indeed calling me. And one of the main ways I knew that is because everybody in the body w- was telling me this. And so after knowing Christ for about six years, I went off to college and then seminary. And, and you know, long story short, here I am today preaching. But the point I'm trying to make is that my gifts were made known in the context of the body of Christ. It wasn't just me and Jesus in the woods. It was me and Jesus in the context of the body. It was us and Jesus, not just me and Jesus. And beloved, please, just search the scripture. You don't need to believe me. Search the scripture and you will see that in order to do the will of Christ, you must robustly engage in the body of Christ. And I pray with all my heart that you will be focused and that you will do this. Fourth, to be Christian in the world, we must learn to be doers of the word in this world. Again, This means that we have to know the word because you can't do what you don't know. And it means we have to pray the word because if we don't pray, we won't have power. But beloved, at the end of the day, Jesus said that it's those who do these things that will be blessed. He had just commanded his disciples about a number of things. And then he looked at them and said, listen, those who do these things, they're the ones who will be blessed. And, And in the Greek language, the word for blessed means to be happy. The ones who have joy in Christ, the ones who have happiness in Christ, are those who take him at his word and actually do his word. No matter what they're thinking, no matter what they're feeling, no matter what they're struggling with, they depend upon the Holy Spirit, they listen to the word of their Father, and by his grace they learn to do the word. Let us be doers of the word and not hearers only, beloved. We have to saturate our brains with the Bible. We have to pray to our Father. We have to engage in the body together. But as we do these things, we too must learn to observe all that Jesus has commanded. We must gain knowledge so that we can obey Jesus because that's where the joy is, beloved. That's where the prize is. That's where the beauty is. That's where the fruitfulness is. And I pray with all of my heart that we would do that together. In the coming months, uh, Kimmy and I, among other things, we did this last week as we celebrated our anniversary. We have agreed to pray with each other as often as we can that God would open up doors uh, uh, for us to share the gospel with at least one person every single day. 
So the idea is that we want to pray and ask the Lord directly. Father, as I go about my life, as I have my meetings, as I run errands, as I'm doing whatever it is you've called me to do, please, Father, open up doors for me to share something about your love and give me eyes to see those doors. Give me courage and power to walk through those doors when you open them. And then there's a particular verse that we've been uh, clinging to. It comes from Matthew chapter 7, and it's not exactly about evangelism, but I think it does fit. And it's that verse where Jesus simply said, listen, if you ask, you will receive. And if you seek, you will find. And if you knock, the door is going to be open to you. And we just want to believe that if we will pray that God will give us an opportunity every single day to share his love with someone, that the Lord's going to answer yes to that prayer every single day. Maybe in the way we're expecting it, maybe in the way we're not expecting it. But I just have to believe that if we will ask and then go deliberately seek God will open the door. So we don't want to just pray and then passively wait for God to open the door. What I'm saying is Kimmy and I have covenanted covenanted together to pray and then go actively, joyfully, and and faith-filledly seek for those doors uh, to be opened. And I'm excited about that, and I really hope that you'll uh, join us in that as well. I got to thinking about this yesterday as I was preparing for the message this morning. And I actually did a little bit of math. I checked it three times because I couldn't believe the numbers. But I took the average attendance of our church and I timed it by 365. So that's the average attendance of our church times, you know, one each person once a day for a year, right? If everyone in this little church touched one life per day every day, guess how many lives we would touch this year? The calculator came up with the with the number, uh, approximate number of 40,000 lives. Can you imagine that? This little church, if we would just look to the Lord and pray for opportunities and joyfully take those opportunities when they come, if we would just, each of us, touch one life per day, every day of the year, we would touch 40,000 lives together. Now, surely those numbers won't work out that neatly, but just imagine what would happen if we even did half of that, you know? We could touch a lot of people for the glory of Jesus. And that may mean that, it, that they come to our church. It may mean that they don't come to our church. That is secondary. That is God's business. What matters to me, I think what matters biblically, is that we be about our Father's business and then we leave the results to Him. So I want to invite you into this with us, beloved. Pray every day that God would open up a door for you to touch somebody with the gospel of Jesus and then go seek that door to open. You know, again, whatever your gifting is, you, you might be a mercy person, you might be an evangelistic person, you might be a prayer warrior. I don't know what your gifting is, but I'm just saying, however you're wired, ask that God would use you every single day to touch the life of somebody else. Oh, and by the way, if you will do this, if you will fix your eyes on Christ and put your mission on other people, it's amazing the kind of joy and the kind of health that will begin to breed in your own life. A lot of our emotional dis-ease is because we're too focused on ourselves. We're, our eyes are not fixed on Christ, and our mission in this world is not about Christ. Sometimes the reason we get so upset with other people in the world, at work, at home, in the church, whatever, is because our eyes are fixed on the wrong things. And if we will fix our eyes on Jesus and then focus our lives on the mission of Jesus in the world, then watch out. Health will come to us. Joy will come to us, even if they're suffering. It will have a quality about it that will satisfy the soul. And so with that, beloved, I just want to pray for us now. 
just want to pray that God will help us with these things. I want to pray that he will help us focus on making disciples for the glory of his great name. Our Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of knowing you. And I thank you for the privilege of knowing you together with these people, Lord, who are, are my friends and who are so beloved to me. I thank you so much, Father, for being a God who speaks, for being a God who is not silent. I thank you for giving us your word. And I thank you for speaking to us through your word today. Lord, I thank you for being a God who doesn't just command us with authority, but who also grants us your presence. And I thank you that this very day, even in this very moment, Father, I thank you that you're with us by the Holy Spirit. Where two or three to gather, to, are gathered together, Jesus, you said, there I am with them. And besides that, you gave so many other promises. So we can be assured that you are here with us. And we thank you for your loving presence. We thank you that your authority gives us clarity. We thank you that your presence gives us warmth and love and hope and joy in all of these things. And Lord, I pray that you would give us insight as we meditate on the things that have been said today. I pray that you would help us to see our part and to play our part with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to focus for the glory of your name. Oh Lord, teach us the joy of taking up our cross and following you, even as you took up your cross and followed your Father. We thank you. We praise you for what you have done today already. We thank you. We praise you for what you will do through your word and by your spirit. In the mighty and merciful and matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.